So hello, welcome everyone to another episode of the Virtual Voices podcast. Um, this episode is very special. Uh, we have a teacher from Peel Virtual Secondary School, Jazdeep Baines. Mr. Baines, thank you for uh, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. Uh, so let's get this started uh, with the kind of maybe the most important question: Who are you? Where have you come from? And where are you going? All right, my name's uh, Mr. Baines or Jazdeep Baines, but I've been teaching for about 15 years now. Uh, I teach computer science and business. Uh, I'm very passionate about both topics. Uh, I'm a lifelong learner. I, I teach students, but at the same time, I'm learning every day. Uh, I'm adjusting every day, uh, evolving, and I'm a very passionate teacher, and I like to transfer some of that passion to my students because uh, I, I want them to be motivated to do great things. That's really great to hear. Really great to hear. Um, what some of our listeners may not realize is uh, we are now in our second year um, in existence at PBSS, uh, and Mr. Baines is a new addition to the staff this year. So it kind of leads me to my next question, and uh, you might know this uh, more than other staff, given that you were at an in-person school last year, and now you're uh, at the virtual secondary school uh, with everything that comes along with that, with our new platforms, with our new timetable. Um, so my question is, how has the transition to virtual learning uh, impacted your teaching style and approach, whether it was in response to uh, the COVID-19 pandemic uh, or at Peel Virtual Secondary School now? So yeah, so having a transition, I knew there was going to be uh, some type of transition just because in-person and virtual are completely different. But uh, I'm surprised at how well the transition has gone. Uh, when you're in-person, you have a lot of non-verbal communication that happens. Uh, mm -hmm. Students come to your classes, you see them on a daily basis, you interact with them on a daily basis. Uh, virtually, the interactions are done differently. Uh, not to say that they don't happen, but they do, but they're just, they're, they're communicated differently. Uh, there's advantages. I've, I've noticed some big advantages to virtual learning. Uh, the adaptability. Uh, usually when you're teaching a class in person, uh, you have a lesson laid out, you execute the lesson. Uh, sometimes you'll adjust on the fly, but for the most part, you follow suit with the lesson and, and you go with it. I'm finding with the virtual platform that uh, there's a lot of ability to adapt, to, to dynamically shift uh, according to whether the, the climate in the world has changed, uh, computing has changed, uh, you, you, can, you can change on the fly. Plus with software and uh, the internet, uh, technology just keeps changing, so you don't have to be so rigid. Uh, it reminds me of back in the days of watching a VHS movie in the class, lugging that v, you know the, the movie <laughs> and the TV to, to the classroom. You, you don't have to do that. You can dynamically shift and adapt accordingly. You don't have to be so rigid. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, you know, in the year and a half of, of doing this, uh, and I'm sure other staff members would agree, um, what might not be a, totally apparent is at PVSS, we, are, we do have a one-to-one -one situation. When I say one-to-one, -one, I mean every teacher and every student has a computer in front of them with access to the internet, which again, uh, to your to the example of uh, wheeling the projector or the, the VHS or the, the TV or the tube TV into a classroom. Um, we actually don't need to do that anymore. We don't need to watch something for you know an hour and a half in a class. Instead, we can use clips, uh, all because we are all sitting on devices 
with uh, with internet access, which is perhaps another difference between in person and virtual. Um, now you mentioned you know there were some there were you know a lot of good things about uh, virtual learning. Um, in your experience so far, what are some what are some of or what what is the most significant challenge or challenges that you've encountered uh, so far in the digital learning environment? So, so one of the main challenges uh, that I've encountered is because of the nature of not being present with the students uh, in, in the same spatial setting, you don't know exactly how they're comprehending and how they're understanding unless as teachers, we delve, we pry, we communicate and, and we get feedback from the students. In an in-person setting, you could walk around, you can engage in, in different ways. In a virtual setting, there are some challenges in that regard. That said, as you said, with the one-on-one -on -one setting, or one-on-one -on -one relationship between the staff and, uh, and the students to the technology, there are tools that we can use and utilize to ensure that students are uh, receiving and, and actually grasping the content that we actually deliver. So it is a challenge, but at the same time, the, with the aid of the technology and, and even the structure of the course and how with PVSS 2.0, we have our, our conversations in the afternoon periods with our students to ensure that they understand the content, uh, we, we can overcome a lot of these challenges. Nice. Uh, and with challenges, of course, there's maybe unintended challenges. There's also some sometimes intended and unintended successes. So, so far in your, uh, in your experience, uh, do you have any maybe success stories or positive uh, experiences that you've had with uh, online teaching? Yep, I actually got a couple of them. Uh, so I had one student, so I'm teaching a math class right now, and she historically does not like math. And she, she did not like math. And as a virtual math teacher, I, I'm, I'm engaging them differently, and I'm trying to, to get them to comprehend some of the concepts in a fun, engaging way. Uh, but I got some feedback from the student about how she she's really appreciated the semester and she, she's been enjoying it too. Uh, speaking of my other course, my computer science courses, because of the virtual nature of the course, we we have we've had these very in-depth conversations and dynamic lessons where we'll jump from web page to web page to web page, exploring different things different narratives, different technologies, uh, just just a lot of really fun and interactive experiences. And we're all having them because of the setting and the situation that we're in and in the virtual environment that we have. Uh, mm -hmm. But it's 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 been very uh, enjoyable so far. Yeah. Uh, I, I really like hearing that. Um, now, so far we've talked about like, you know, learning and teaching explicitly in courses, um, just to maybe deviate from our, our script here. Um, Mr. Baines also is a staff sponsor for uh, some clubs at PBSS, including, I think it was a computer club. Um, how has your experience been in managing a club online for students as a staff sponsor? So when I taught in person, I teaching uh, or, or working with clubs is a big part of my, my, uh, my resume. I, I love the extracurricular engagement with students and the growth that happens uh, often when you're teaching a class uh, you, you you're you're talking about a specific topic and, and you're kind of typecasted just towards that topic but when you do club work you get to talk about life 
and, and a lot of different concepts. So it's a big part of my practice. I was a little worried in the virtual setting how it would transition. Uh, my last year at Louise Arbor, I, I had a lot of clubs, over 10 clubs that I was, uh, I was hosting. Uh, but I, I thought the transition would be tough. But right now we're doing, uh, like you said, the Computer Science Club. And it's actually gone very, very well. In fact, it's gone better than I would have probably done in an in-person class. So uh, we have a club, Computer Science Club. We have a couple executive members, so students that have taken on a leadership role, and they're teaching other students about computer science concepts uh, and then getting them prepared for future contests in uh, computer science, so hackathons, Waterloo skills competitions. Uh, and, and, and they're doing such a fabulous job. So I'll meet with them, have a virtual meet with them beforehand, and then they'll, have, they'll host the club. And then I'll be there with uh, as well too, answering questions. But the students are running the show. They're helping each other. They're teaching teaching each other and engaging each other more effectively than I think they would have in an in person setting. And because it's virtual, you don't have to worry about travel time. You don't have to worry about the kid getting lost at lunch or taking too long at home, uh, or, or or environmental issues and whatnot. It's completely online uh, through our software using uh, Teams, and it's. It's it's been very effective right now. Oh, I, I I like hearing about those sometimes, like I mentioned, sometimes unintended consequences of being online and you know things that we don't really consider. Um, it's it's cool to hear that you know students are engaging in in clubs uh, with support from teachers like yourself. Um, now the type of students that, like you mentioned, you had some executive members that yes. you know taken on a leadership role. I think Ms. Aurora, our principal, uh, came out to a meeting and they were trying to, you know, uh, teach her how to use Python, like right in the moment, and she got a real kick out of that. Um, of course, our students are built differently. Individuals are individuals. Um, those students seem like they are have practiced and developed those skills to be successful online. Now, not every student is there yet, yep. right? Because, you know, we're, we're dealing with young people. Um, so. When you do, when you are faced with students that have like motivation issues, let's say, uh, to participate online, to click the button and actually attend the class, um, yep. what kind of strategies do you use to maybe address some of these uh, potential issues with motivation in an online setting? So, in an in-person setting, you're going to have similar situations too. Like, so motivation is one of the challenges as an educator that we kind of have to navigate through. Thankfully, virtually. We can track progress. You can have like a, in, in my classrooms, we have living documents where students are completing assignments uh, in order and, and, and the document is shared. So I can see, I can track the progress of where they're at. Uh, a lot of conversations, a lot of surveying in class. Uh, one of the lessons that we did in, in one of our classrooms was to have a screencast assignment where if the student, where the student was demonstrating their learnings, on their screen so they're actually recording what they were doing explaining what they're doing and then sending that file to us so, so there are ways to kind of engage them at their level because because di different students uh want to show their work or demonstrate their learnings differently and and thankfully because of the technology become because of the one-to-one -one, uh we have a lot of these tools at our disposal that we can use and and, and kind of gear towards specific students and and often they can choose the medium that they want to use for that. Mm. Mr. Baines, do you, do you remember uh, something called the SAMR model, S-A-M-R? 
No, no, sorry. So it's probably out of fashion now, but I, I do remember when, uh, when, it, when it was appropriate to say 21st century learning. Yeah. Yeah. Right now, you know, we're 23 years in. I don't know if it's appropriate anymore, but the, 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 the model basically said that, you know, in using technology, we move through S, A, M, and then R, a substitution, an augmentation, a modification, and, and the R stands for a redefinition. Redefinition meaning we can now do things and learn in ways that we could not have ever done in an in-person setting with, uh, exactly. even with paper, pencil, with technology. And you know the example you just gave of a of a student live recording how they're completing an assignment yep. for review. So you're you're not you're not you're not looking for like an anecdote of process. It literally is the process. It sounds to me exactly. like that's like a redefinition of how how learning and an assessment can look in secondary school. Exactly. Rather than focusing just on the product, which in in, in the past I used to, and, and a lot of teachers used to. But we're focusing now on the process. Obviously, there's there's new technologies that are like that are intertwining with our our, our curriculum and our courses now with uh, ChatGPT and AI tools and whatnot. So as teachers, we have to dynamically shift. And and and, and process based, I definitely think is the way to go. Uh, there's a lot of tools that we've been using in our classrooms: cloud based tools, assessment tools, Desmos and Mathematics. So they're 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 calculating stuff online. In my computer science class, we use a, a tool called uh, Repellit or Replit. It's an mm -hmm. online web-based IDE that allows you to edit code and create code online, but also share your content. And it's a it's a very powerful tool. Uh, so we're using AI for its abilities to enhance our programs and enhance our comprehension. That's really interesting. So it, it, let's stick to that for a second. I mean, not so much AI, but the example before you said there was a you use a collaborative tool in computer science. So, so yes. students are working on code together? Yep, they can work on it together. They can share files. Uh, we have a virtual classroom on that website that allows us, that allows myself to send sample code and they can receive that and they can modify that and work with it as well too. Wow, wow, that's incredible. You know, it reminds me of uh, an old roommate I had back in, I went to the University of Waterloo uh, for my undergrad. One of my roommates, I did a degree in science. Uh, my roommate was in computer science. And him and his friends and classmates would need to meet with each other when they were assigned you know, a 40-hour, 50-hour assignment. They would have to physically get together in the comfy lounge, in the math building, at Waterloo, for sometimes days on end to collaborate. Yeah. Because that's yeah. just where the technology was. And it's interesting to think that we're now at a time like right now, where this can happen across campus, across residents, across provinces, across countries, basically anywhere on the planet. That is compelling, to say the least. Definitely. Um, maybe again on that note, maybe we'll stick to that. Um, of course, process work, being able to collaborate with, you know, code, that's one thing. But, you know, some of our listeners may not may not have like um, in-depth understanding of what we do at PBSS and why. So, you know, when it comes to collaboration, which again, it's such a human element to learning. And, and I don't know if you'd agree, but uh, trust and communication are like key parts to learning. Because if, if you can't really communicate what you're doing, 
it may not be as useful as it could be. So, you know, at PVSS and in your classes, uh, what, what are some other ways that you incorporate like collaboration or collaborative activities uh, into your courses? For computer science, uh, we do a lot of code analysis. So I'll explain a concept, uh, show the concept in a few different mediums, uh, have the students kind of work through some of those activities as well too. But, but we use a lot of different tools. Uh, the, the software itself, Teams, allows us to have breakout rooms where students can get into groups and actually dissect code and work on problems together. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of different ways to kind of, I like using surveys. Uh, sometimes students don't want to uh, voice some of their concerns or some of their, uh, some of the issues that they have. So I do a lot of surveys online while I'm conferencing and while I'm online. Uh, and sometimes they can do this anonymously too. They don't have to, they don't have to put their name in with a lot of those, those votings and all that stuff too, because sometimes they're afraid to, to be singled out or whatnot. Uh, but mm -hmm. collaborative wise, there, there's a lot of different opportunities for, uh, for, for, for activities to kind of go. Uh, a lot of it's software based. There's a lot of cloud based software that we can use and integrate in our classes. Uh, but uh, for computer science, uh, Replit is probably the one that I probably use the most. Uh, but again, integrated within the classroom. Uh, there's there's other sites too. W3 Schools is a great site that I use for uh, for code, and it's one that a lot of schools use where you can actually type code and modify it and see the result of it as well too. And then a lot of conversations. Can't emphasize a lot of conversations uh, just to ensure that people are comprehending it. Absolutely, that's good to know. Now. In the education world, and this is more qualifying for those people that uh, perhaps aren't in the education industry, um, we call it PL and PD. PL meaning professional learning, PD is professional development, kind of synonymous. Um, these are moments where educators, uh, administrators, any staff uh, can improve um, their work uh, or their expertise. So question is, um, has or how has uh, professional development played a role in helping you personally adapt to virtual learning? So, so uh, PD is a big part of my course. Like uh, computer science, you have to be relevant. You have to be uh, up to date. It has played a big role in the sense that I, so the way that I'm getting my content, so I was fortunate enough over the summer to go to University of Waterloo for a three-day session uh, for computer science and engineering professionals to basically upgrade our skills and, uh, and, and focus on some of the courses that have been updated, uh, the grade 10 computer science course being one of those. Uh, great opportunity to talk with other educators, to share information, share uh, teaching practices, uh, but it's allowed me to create a more of an enriched course uh, and it completely led into the virtual setting. Like it just seamlessly meshed and, and, and worked with a with a virtual setting. Uh, just being as contemporary as it is in an in-person, like as I mentioned before, in an in-person setting, you sometimes tend to be rigid. You stick to the lessons that you have. Some teachers still have their binders that they just follow page after page with. But, uh, but it, it allowed for a dynamic uh, experience. I have all the resources that my colleagues have given me and the instructors have given me and some of the other teachers who, who actually taught us as well too. Uh, and it, it's all about trying new stuff. It's all about incorporating new stuff into our practices, trying new stuff, see what works, see what doesn't work. If it doesn't work, scrap it. 
but it's been very effective. Uh, we have a really, really great teacher at our school, uh, Mrs. Sobek, who, uh, who gives us a lot of resources too. And currently I'm working on one of our summative projects with her. But again, another one of this process-driven final assessments uh, that's that's allowed our students to to learn and more effectively than they would have if we just focused on product. Yeah, absolutely, and it it, it does draw such a an interesting uh, connection between educators and the students that we serve. Um, students, obviously, you know, participate in meaningful risk taking. I'll say, you know, learning yeah. is not easy, right? Learn learning is being faced with what what the truth of of the world actually is or having to go back and relearn something and it's inherently uncomfortable and and I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm glad uh, I'm glad you you mentioned you know your own professional development uh, uh, journey because we participate in this too we have to constantly learn or else what kind of service are we providing that's true and it humbles us too it humbles us too because uh, as we are learning we're seeing what works for us what doesn't work for us and we can kind of uh, analyze that and kind of use it for our kids, kids as well too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've got a uh, the last few questions here as we kind of get to the end. Um, I guess I guess I want to hear from you, particularly given how uh, successful your program program seemed to be. Uh, I should let our listeners know, um, and maybe Mr. Baines too. I don't know if I get to tell you this often, but um, in connecting with students for my own reasons as an administrator. Um, Mr. Baines is regarded quite highly amongst our student body and again uh, amongst his uh, uh, students in his classes. Um, so from your perspective, do you have any maybe tips for students for how to become or continue to be uh, successful in, uh, in a virtual setting? Uh, first of all, I just want to say that our students are amazing. Uh, I'm humbled by them. They are amazing students. And, uh, and, and the feeling is completely mutual. Uh, some tips to be successful with the students, um, routines. Uh, I think routines are very, very important in our environment. Uh, waking up on time, uh, eating at the right times, going to bed at the right times, logging in, having a nice clean workstation, an organized workstation, all these little things help contribute uh, to success. Uh, having a calendar, with assignments, with lessons potentially, or meet dates that you have to meet your teacher with. All that stuff helps in becoming more successful. As an in-person student, it's easy to slack. I have three sons of my own, and I find myself as an adult, I'm pushing them constantly. I'm waking them up at a certain time. I'm nudging them to hurry up and, and, and get changed to eat at the right time and then to leave at a specific time. What I'm finding virtually though is this setting is helping our students become more mature and take more ownership in their behavior and in their learning, which I think is gonna help them more in their future, especially when they start working and they become parting, part of the, of the workforce, just because they're learning about how to learn on their own and, and they have to do it otherwise their parents aren't sitting beside them while they're in uh, on their workstation and, and doing whatnot. So it does. So it, there is a perception that because it's online, that there's a potential for a student to slack, ignore what's going on and just to kind of ignore everything. But there is that potential. But at the same time, they're going to get a very rude awakening that if that behavior continues, they're not going to be successful. So I think it does 
wakes students up, forces them to have good habits because those good habits would then in turn lead them to be more successful and in life later on as well too. Yeah, yeah, that that does that does resonate. Um, the push to our new timetable, and again, for those who don't know what we're talking about, um, this year, the 2023-2024 school year, um, we have changed the way secondary school works where we have synchronous classes in the morning, just like we've always had since the, I don't know, 50s. Um, and then in the afternoons, the whole afternoon, 1230 to 3, uh, is time for students to learn asynchronously, conference with their teachers, uh, engaging, engage in a, a group assessments or group assignments, get, get you know, tutorial help, um, all of that. And, and to your point, all of that requires organization, some level of metacognition, um, because, I mean, as adults, I don't know if we, if we want to spoil the surprise for everyone in school right now, but adult learning, whether it's post-secondary or just adult certifications and learning, a lot of it nowadays is either online or a hybrid of online and not. And being organized is uh, necessary to be successful, I would argue. Definitely, definitely. So, I mean, you mentioned you have your own kids. Uh, you mentioned some things that students can do. You know, for maybe our parent and caregiver community uh, who have students that are at Peel Virtual Secondary School or will be soon, um, do you have any any tips for them or or do you have an, uh, an understanding of what role that parents and caregivers may play in a student's virtual learning experience? So parent feedback is, uh, is important, uh, parental feedback. Um, the students that get the system and, and, and are on, on track and focus and organize, uh, that's great, but there's also this, some students that struggle with that and that learning takes a little bit longer. So sometimes we do need that uh, parents there to kind of support us and help us. Uh, we can offer tips. Uh, I, I routinely get emails from parents asking, how, how's Johnny doing? How's Jimmy doing? And, and I'll usually give them advice, like they're struggling in this area. They need some uh, emphasis on this area. But it's just an, a, another set of ears, another set, another voice for us to kind of help the student kind of progress and, and to level up into certain areas. But but it is important. That said, though, the, the ultimate goal is for the student to take agency of their own actions and, and to learn those skills that they need to kind of level up and be, be uh, successful on their own. And that's what we're emphasizing. The parents there are just kind of a tool to kind of get us to that level. But once they get to that level, then we don't then, then we don't need as much interaction as we do. Absolutely. And I'm, and I'm sure you'd agree. Um, you know, the, the best feeling or the best compliment uh, an educator can receive is having students be successful. That's Definitely. it's like the, the best outcome that can happen uh, in courses in, in secondary school and uh, from K to 12. Right. It's uh, supporting them in becoming learners themselves. Is the end goal. Is the, is the reason I teach. Uh, so when, when you see kids become successful, do job X, job Y, job Z, it's just very, it's super rewarding. And as a teacher that's been teaching for 15 years, I keep seeing my former students in different settings and it's, it's fascinating. My wife the other day was telling me a story about how, so my wife's a dental hygienist. She was talking to her dentist and she shot off the name of her dentist who's in Oakville and Immediately, I know that person. I taught that person 12 years ago. She was a student of mine. I taught her business at Sandalwood Heights. 
and it's just just like that. Yeah. Wow, wow! It's a good day, doesn't it? I love, yep. it. I love those stories. Um, so, lastly, uh, and this, I think we've talked a little bit about this, or we've peppered it in throughout uh, this episode. But you know, Mr. Baines, looking ahead, uh, what changes or improvements uh, do you envision or do you sense for the future of virtual learning? Because I don't think this is going anywhere. Yep. So, so the spatial issue kind of comes up during conversations about virtual learning and how can we how can as a teacher we see the kids and and, and not just be completely distanced through uh, the, the spatial barriers that we do have thankfully the technology is changing and right now we're using teams and there's newer versions of teams and other software that are coming out but in the future uh there won't be boundaries. There won't be limitations. There won't be walls uh, between people, between countries and whatnot. And the, the next version of Teams looks like it's doing some really amazing stuff. Uh, 3D virtual spaces, I, I can't wait for. Uh, once those get implemented, we can have a virtual classroom where everyone is in a room together virtually while sitting at home behind their workstation, I think that's that's a game changer. That changes, that allows us to have that in-person interaction and monitoring and all this other stuff in a virtual setting. And, and, and the collaboration is gonna be even more intense because you have that classroom, you can get up and walk around and interact with people, have a bulletin board where you can post stuff, have this and that. You won't even know that you're working virtually. It, you'll be you'll be doing all these activities that you would have in person in a virtual setting. And I, I, I think that's very fascinating, focusing on the process, not the product. We've, we've already moved towards that. It's going to enhance uh, our capabilities and it's going to introduce us to solving so much more problems that we wouldn't be able to in the past because we were so focused on little things. We can now let the AI do some of those little things for us while we can focus on a big big solutions to, to big things. Mm -hmm. It's like uh, creativity and connection might be exactly. prioritized, you know, moving forward, right? Some of the little, you know, little bits and pieces, like you're saying, the, the point and click type of stuff may not be relevant moving forward and preparing our kids to uh, understand themselves as learners so that they can experience, well, this, they can take advantage of, of uh, opportunities for success and happiness in their life is uh, of the utmost importance. Um, Mr. Baines, I think that's all I have for you today. Anything else you want to tell our listeners? Just want to say thank you for uh, inviting me to this. Uh, helping anyone else uh, is part of what we do, and I hope some of my insights uh, help other people decide what they want to do. I think they absolutely have. And uh, for all these students out there, uh, future and current, if you get if you see Baines on your timetable, uh, don't change the course. Okay. <laughs> anyway, thanks everyone. Uh, I'm Samir Chala for the Virtual Voices Podcast. Take care. Bye-bye.